Hello and welcome to the podcast where we shine a light on the complexities and challenges surrounding the importance of human behaviour on cybersecurity and compliance. That's right, we're talking about people being at the centre of information security and data protection and the challenges of engaging users to create change in their behaviour. This is Beyond the Firewall. Hello, hello, and thank you for joining us. Now, once upon a time, back in the days when I had a proper job, I did data protection for a living for big companies. But that was in the noughties and nineties, when that term was much more closely aligned with disaster recovery and business continuity. But even today, despite a, a pretty major career change, I still get phone calls from recruiters on LinkedIn who've just done a keyword search for data protection and oh, mistakenly come across me. And the thing is that when we talk about data protection now, it's less likely to be about restoring from tape backup an accidentally deleted spreadsheet from Laura from Accounts' laptop. Instead, it's more about the frameworks and the methodologies that organizations adopt so they can responsibly secure and protect the data that they store and process. So on today's show, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about these data protection frameworks and the practical benefits that information security management standards bring to an organization. What is ISO 27001, for example, and why should we care? Well, joining me, I hope to drag my data protection knowledge up into the 2020s and perhaps give me a fighting chance of bagging a new job on LinkedIn, our MetaCompliance CEO and author of Cybersecurity Awareness for Dummies, Robbie O'Brien. Hello, Robbie. Hi, David. Today, we're going to be covering one of the key issues in cybersecurity. How do you basically go about doing it? And for me, how do you avoid reinventing the wheel? What is best practice? And for me, frameworks like NIST and ISO 27001 are critical. And I think you can't go down that route without then bringing in data protection like GDPR into the mix. So I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation and maybe throw some practical light on how you would go about doing that. And indeed, why you should, apart from yes. getting that tick in the box or, or whatever, what are the practical benefits? What are the business benefits of doing that as well? But hold fire on that thought because <laughs> our special guest today is cybersecurity and data protection expert, perfectly cast for today, lecturer at the European <laughs> Centre for Privacy and Cybersecurity and owner of BH Consulting. It's Brian Honan. Hello, Brian. How are you doing today? Hey, David. I'm good, thanks. And thanks for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to our chat. I think. I was smiling to myself when you talked about data protection and being in your job profile. And I know in preparation for this call, we discussed data protection and its meaning and stuff. Over the years, it has changed. So has the word cybersecurity. So is the word information security. Uh, you know, and I think many of us sometimes get maybe not confused is too strong a word, but uh, what is it that we're really doing with this information? How, what do we call it? And I think. Hopefully today, by talking about the different standards and frameworks around that, we can say, look, doesn't matter what you call it. This is how we should protect the information. And information is the lifeblood of businesses, the lifeblood of society today. You know, we can see coming down the tracks. I know within the UK, there's been new regulations, but within the EU, we also have Cybersecurity Act, the DORA, we've got Digital Resilience Act, the AI Act and GDPR. So there's all these rules and regulations coming through. So how do we make sure that we keep the information as as secure as we can? And hopefully we can 
have a good chat today, go through some of the thought process on that. Do you know, that's a really good point, Brian, and something that maybe I should have considered up until now, but probably hadn't, is podcasts are global. We've got a, an audience that listen to what we talk about every month that, that goes all around the globe. And it's, it's very easy for us to get UK-centric or whatever. But actually, you mentioning there about how since since the, the United Kingdom, since Brexit has happened, the potential divergence of, of standards that could happen between the European Union mm. and the United Kingdom, I think there could be some little intricacies in there that it might just be as well to to keep our minds across. Yeah. Anyway, so I think I've already kind of shown my hand really about how (laughs) out of date my knowledge of this area is. So let's kick things off. 101, bring me up to speed. When we talk about data protection frameworks and information security management methodologies and all that sort of stuff, what are we talking about? Because there's a lot of terminology in this space. And you mentioned some of it there. There's abbreviations, there's numbers, there's GDPR, there's ISO 27001, there's NIST. I don't think all of these names really help people to properly engage with it. So, Robbie, help us out here because there's a lot of confusion, I think. I'm confused. Help me out if no one else. <laughs> so I, I think it, it boils down to to trust, right? You know, just in the, the week past, we've had a massive data breach in Australia with one mm. of the telecoms companies, basically providing a vast amount of information about the general populace. And what I think a lot of people don't realise is that there are so many databases at large now that people with malintent can do essentially data analysis, data mining, and they'll pick up your mother's maiden name from one breach. They'll pick up your work email. They'll pick up your social security number from another data breach. So actually, when people are looking to defraud us or defraud our company, they have a deep vein of information of stuff to trick us with that you think they are from a valid source. So really, if we can't trust the data that we're being presented back, or I'm sure anyone listening who has tried to go through a KYC, you know, where a utility company or with a a finance company, it's almost becoming impossible. So all the rewards that we have accrued from the sort of digital transformation yet to accrue or at threat because fundamentally you have these big weaknesses. And at the heart of it is a lack of structural approach to putting information security and data protection at the heart of a business. A lot of lip service to it, but the practicalities are, are harder. And I think we'll talk later. I have started to see that certain Industries like, for example, the airline industry and governments are now bringing in regulations that you can't deal with them unless you meet these minimum standards. So Mm -hmm. I think the sea change is beginning, which is good because I think it provides a good backdrop for cybersecurity professionals, privacy professionals to work against. But it does mean that a lot of fundamental things need to be put into place where our staff understand the concept of trust and as an organization you're wearing your trust, your bona fides as a custodian of electronic data as a competitive advantage. And I think that's where we're going. I want to pick up on that word trust because it's become a very buzzy phrase over the last two or three years. Pretty much every company, whether it's got two letters, three letters or whatever, is saying that we aim to be the world's most trusted 
X, Y, Z. So I get that trust thing. And trust has been rocked. You mentioned airline industry, for example, there. And, you know, there have been a number of instances of data breaches and data leaks taking place over the last two or three years there. If we understand what the premise is, and we do need to be responsible in terms of how organizations are looking after their data, and there need to be frameworks around that, and we need to engage all of the workforce with that mission, does the confusion around the naming and ISO this and NIST that and GDPR, all of this kind of soup of letters and names start to confuse things and almost disengage people instead, Robbie? It definitely does. And I think for me, the protection of data and information security are inherently the same thing. There are different regulations and different approaches, but whilst a payroll system is also processing of of personal data, your bank account details, your social security numbers, it's also an information asset under ISO 27001 and therefore Mm -hmm. needs to be protected. And I've constantly seen people address HR uh, staff talking in in the language of privacy and then someone talking in the language of cyber and putting out different surveys to accrue information for the different requirements. It isn't joined up. I think that's the problem. And also, I think a lot of people overcomplicate it because it is all based on your information security management system. It's not the information security management system that the government have decided upon. It's the information security management that best fits your organization. I'm old enough to have been through the process with the old quality standard of, it's not old, I know it's still around, ISO 27001, and how that area of continuous improvement basically spawned an entire industry that we all talked about for 15, 20 years. And I know manufacturing organizations, and it still is a big, big thing, but it isn't as buzzy as it once was. I really do believe our industry has to go through the same sort of process where you democratize this. Robbie, when you mentioned the quality management standard, you called it ISO 27001. I think it was ISO 9001. It was. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we can just ride on with that I'm totally fixated. It has got to do with the organization taking responsibility for its own internal systems and processes. And that also requires the individuals within that organization to do the same. So these things are all culminating in the the same issue. And I think since the tragic events in Ukraine, I think the cyber problem has become more acute for both governments, critical infrastructure and businesses. And so there isn't really any time to dither with this. I think there's a a sense of urgency that is coming across as well. So Ryan, like I say, we're we're talking in fairly general terms Mm -hmm. about data protection frameworks. Bring us a little bit more to the specific. What are we talking about? What are they? And what do we specifically try to achieve with them? Yeah, I think there's, you know, uh, if you take a step backward, I I like the question you asked earlier on, David, about the challenges many people face now with all these regulations coming into force, be that UK-focused, EU-focused, U.S. focused, you know, because last year we had the executive order from President Biden about U.S. government agencies improving their security. So what we've seen in the past 18 to 24 months has been a very rapid focus on getting security right for, for businesses. Security has, to coin the phrase, has always been something we take seriously. You, you talk to every company, they've always saying that. But how do you walk that walk? You know, like if if you're saying you're taking it seriously, how do you prove it? And we've seen time and time again, 
companies having breaches. We talked about airlines. We talked about the breach in Australia. And 99 times out of 100, some of those breaches are not the sophisticated attacks that have happened. So I think we're at a stage now where we're seeing regulators, no matter where they are, saying enough is enough. We now need to ensure that the personal data or any data that your business relies on is protected in a certain way. And and Robbie's absolutely right. Trust is the key phrase and all that. How can I, as an individual, trust this vendor to protect my data? I think where it comes then is frameworks. Security frameworks are a way that you as a business owner or as a business can demonstrate that you are taking security seriously, that you have taken the time and effort and invested in resources to put this framework in place to make sure that you have a consistent approach. And I think that's a very key word is consistent approach because that you have this consistent approach to protect your data. Time and time again, I see companies panic on, oh, Data Protection Act, we need to comply with that, or we need to comply with GDPR. And now here's another regulation we need to comply with. Let's kick off a project to comply with that regulation. So you end up maybe with many different mini projects trying to redo the security jigsaw puzzle over and over again. Whereas if you're using a framework at your business, you have a consistent approach and you can say, okay, you know, we have this framework in place. We've had this approach in place. We have other policies, the processes, the training, et cetera, that we require. And now we have this new regulation. Well, let's just take the requirements from this new regulation and let's match it into our framework so that we can now expand the scope or expand our framework to include that. So instead of reacting to every mm. new regulation coming through, a consistent framework allows us to have a, a one approach to everything. And part of the challenge, though, is there are quite a lot of frameworks out there. <laughs> NIST is good. Uh, ISO 27000 is good. You've got SOC 2. I've done a project recently for uh, ANISA, the European Union Agency for Cybersecurity, and about cybersecurity standards for SMEs across the European Union. And many of European countries have their own individual frameworks or standards that, that SMEs can follow. So as a business owner, which one do you pick? I, I do think, you know, given the podcast we're on on today, I firmly believe ISO 27001 is that framework that provides you with that confidence and that ability to build trust and to have a consistent approach because 27001 is an international standard. They're all very similar. Now, if you look at NIST, you look at 27001, you look at SOC 2 or any other standards, at their core, they cover the same basic fundamentals. But the big advantage 27001 has is that it can be independently certified against a standard, as opposed to saying, yes, I have followed the best practice framework and now we're compliant with it. Being certified to 27001 is kind of like we've gone through a, an independent process and we can prove to you either as a customer, as a partner company or as a business owner that we have a, a robust framework in place to protect our data. And we'll chat in a moment, I think, about why there might be some business benefits to choosing one standard, one framework over another. But I just want to backtrack a a little bit. And a couple of things that we've mentioned, obviously ISO 27001, GDPR as well. That's a phrase that's going to be on many people's lips over the last five years, four years, however long since that's been in place in the European Union and elsewhere for those who are looking after European Union owners' data. I know they're not the same thing, but could you 
elaborate on what the differences and overlaps between them are, just so that I can get in my head the difference between the the standards, the uh, ISO 27001, and then the data protection regulation, which is GDPR. How do they interconnect with one another? Well, I suppose the key thing with many of these regulations, be that GDPR, be that the UK Data Protection Act, the EU have the Network Information Security Directive version 2 coming out now as well, is they don't specify what standard you need to use. Right. But they all require you to be able to demonstrate you have appropriate security controls in place. Now, many of them will say uh, they won't specific, you know, they don't say you should be certified at 27,001, but they will recommend that you use a standard that is robust and recognized internationally, such as ISO 27001. So GDPR requires that you have adequate security measures in place. So that means you as a business owner have to pick risk-based controls to protect the personal data that's been entrusted to you by your staff or by your customers. Now, 27001 is a risk-based information security standard. Mm -hmm. So you can see the parallels there that if you you take a risk-based approach to to protecting the personal data, well, 27001 is a very good fit for that. And you can demonstrate to the regulator or to your customers, if you're certified to 27001, that you have taken the appropriate measures uh, to place. a standard doesn't guarantee you're never going to be hacked or you're never going to have a security incident, but it does mean you've got a robust framework in place to minimise the risk or to minimise the chance of that happening. Indeed. Thank you very much indeed, both for the definitions piece and then for, say, helping get in my head where the general and the specific kind of fit neatly with each other. Thank you. Now, we're doing this. I'd like to expand on the on the why we're doing this and what the benefits are that we discussed earlier, the potential business value for an organization in terms of getting this stuff right. You know, you talk, Brian, about it's a way to demonstrate a consistent approach to data protection. Great. What does that mean for my bottom line? And, you know, particularly if this is your area of responsibility and you're going cap in hand to your senior leadership and saying, hey, look, you know, we need to invest some money because I'm sure all of this work doesn't come for free. What are the bean counters going to say in terms of what's it going to do for me? Robbie, I'll come to you first of all for this one. Talk to me about the business benefits of getting this stuff right. So I think you have to go, well, what what affects the bottom line? How does it increase my revenues? For me, having a method of evidencing your capability is table stakes for dealing with Certainly, mid-market companies and, and, and enterprise companies, there are certain industries, I think, that have been particularly hit by cyber problems and data protection problems, like, for example, the legal industry. And so you, you get a higher level of sensitivity around it. So in practice, how it manifests itself is that as part of a procurement process or someone buying a service, they will have a procurement life cycle. And if you walk back, say, 15 years, the risk assessment that came in relation to information security was maybe, you know, two pages. Now, the risk assessment in relation to cybersecurity and data protection is typically two times in terms of verbiage, the size of the actual procurement piece. And then it translates itself into um, contracts. So one is to get in the door, right? One is please uh, evidence uh, your capabilities on both data protection and cybersecurity, which is 
infinitely easier if you have a framework. The framework and, and the certification of the framework provide your evidence. But what I'm finding and, and have done for the last six or seven years is that you normally end up with a couple of thorny issues that will be heavily negotiated in the contract phase. And it typically boils down to liability associated with data breaches. And it boils down to who takes responsibility for the protection of data. And they become quite heavily fought over items and different companies take different views on it. That isn't apparent when you're looking at ISO 27001 as a possible project, or you're looking at GDPR as a regulation that's coming from the government. But the reality is salespeople uh, will be going through a process. And at some stage, someone will have to answer the risk assessment associated that normally comes with the procurement. And also then the contracts and legal people will then have to reach back and go, how are we protecting ourselves in relation to these things? For me, that isn't necessarily understood throughout the business, but that's where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> Therefore, if you've turned that on its head and you put your bona fides as a, a competitive advantage, that you push data protection as something that you have invested in. So for example, if you are certified to ISO 27001 and the procurement then sets ISO 27001 as a minimum, you, you have immediately taken out all those competitors that can't actually ascribe yeah. to it. And interestingly, I think from a business perspective, it's one of the big opportunities, I think, for privacy and also cybersecurity professionals to gain buy-in from other people in the board. Because I think if you were to open their eyes to the fact that, okay, we're going to invest this amount of money, it's going to be this amount of effort to get it. But from there on, you know, we're actually going to make it easier for your guys to sell. We're going to make it easier for us to, you know, be in this group. And without a shadow of a doubt, the risk assessments are getting more complex and becoming binary, you either pass the risk assessment or you don't. And if you don't, there's there's just no way you'll get onto the vendor list. So ISO 27001, it gets you in the door. You are, you are limiting your opportunities if you don't have that. And in particular, you know, certain industries, they're going to absolutely require it for you to stay in those yeah. in those relationships. It's a competitive advantage, in my opinion. Yeah. I, th I think what it also does as well is traditionally, Data protection, information security, cybersecurity, whatever you want to call it, has been the remit of the IT people. Mm. And business and IT speak different languages. The joke has always been, don't go to security because they'll tell you no. We want to launch a new website. No, you can't do that because of security. We want to give everybody mobile devices. No, you can't do that because of information security. What 27001 gives you, or indeed any of the other frameworks, it gives you as the IT person and the business people, a common language to talk to each other because it's based on risk. So now instead of saying no, you're able to say, yes, we can do that, but this is what we need to do. This is the risk we're trying to manage. And that's what the board and that's what the businesses understand is risk. They don't understand all the TLAs and the acronyms and you know the technology that we're using because they're hidden from that, but they do understand risk. And using a framework gives you the ability to speak risk to the business owners, to the board and say, we can do this, but this is the risk involved. And to manage that risk, this is what we need to do. And I think Brian is absolutely right there because the concept of security being a blocker is, is a real issue. 
you have going back in time, real technological problems to doing things like bring your own device. However, we've yeah. moved significantly on. You know, what, what is the similarities between GDPR and ISO 27001 and, and NISC? All of these force you to identify what are your key assets? Where are the areas that you're processing personal data? And by doing that and by focusing on the things that need protected, as opposed to this ethereal, you know, we're all at risk and it's a general catastrophic, you know, we're in trouble, that basically you have a information security management system that is fit for purpose for your organization, for your part in the journey, that because it's, it is a journey arc associated with these things, it takes time. Conversations on whether you can or cannot do it become framed within the context of, of these uh, protected information assets, as opposed to these, oh, we can't do it because of security. Because yeah. outside of IT security, a lot of people use, oh, I can't do that because of security, because they don't want to do it, or it's a reason. Yeah. It's, it's it's one of those, it's like, a you know, because of COVID, it's one of those issues that sort of you can't really argue against. But I have seen within our own organization a huge simplification and streamlining of decisions on security and, and data protection because we have these best practices in place. Actually, I just want to tap into that side with both of you as also business owners as well. Brian, you know, yeah. BH Consulting, I'm guessing <laughs> that, that your name uh, had something to do with the naming of that consultancy. Yeah. You, you what can, is you can, you can tell my career is in, in is in cybersecurity, not in marketing. <laughs> <laughs> not spending nearly enough on consultancy services for branding there, clearly. But but what does this all mean for you then? I, I mean, I, yeah. I I presume you have frameworks in place and and that you oh, yeah. you yeah. eat your own dog food there. So what does it mean for you as a business owner knowing that you are operating within these frameworks? Yeah, so we've been certified to 27,001 for many years now. Uh, in actual fact, at one stage, we were the smallest company in the world to be certified to 27,000. <laughs> I love that. And that was when it was, I was, a, BH Consulting was a one-man operation. We're, we're 30 <laughs> people now uh, globally, but when we were a one-person company, we were certified to 27,001. And for us, the key advantage has, well, there's been different advantages. One is, as Robbie has pointed out, is that when we're now, bidding for work against other organizations. If the minimum requirement is that you're certified to 27,001, well, we're, we've already qualified. Yeah. But likewise, if we're quoting work for clients to, to help them get certified to 27,001, well, because we're certified, we're showing we eat our own dog food. Why would you use a company to help you get certified to 27,001 if they're not certified to it themselves? Also, as a business owner, it gives me the confidence that Look, we have a robust risk management program in place. We have an infant security management system in place so that I can rest easy at night knowing that we're using industry good practices to protect our systems and to protect the data that, that our clients have, uh, have entrusted to us. And similarly to Robbie, because we've been, when you look at your security in, in, a, in a very minute way and you put everything under the microscope, you identify process and procedures, you go, okay, look, we can automate that or we can make this more efficient. And that's a good thing that being certified to 27,001 gives you as well. And, and I know we'll probably talk about it in, in more detail later, but being certified isn't a end point to your journey. Once you get certified, it's not over. The standard does require that yeah. there's continual improvement. So you're continuously looking at ways 
to improve your security. So the ISMS that we put in place when we got our very first certification has changed dramatically over the years simply because 27001 requires you to continuously improve on your security. And you will obviously use cloud services as well. You yeah. you engage suppliers. How much store do you put in the certifications of the suppliers that you choose to engage? Oh, that's a great question. And we choose being certified 27001 is a big factor in our clients. Our company, as a matter of fact, we are a cloud first company. We have no on-premise systems. Everything system that we use is in the cloud, be that email, project management, finance, HR, everything mm. is based in the cloud. And that supports us because we're a company of 30 people strong throughout the world, so we can collaborate easily uh, via, via the cloud. But when selecting those providers, we've gone through the process of ensuring that they're certified at 27,001. And if they're not, well, then we do, as, as Robbie has highlighted, we, we have a very long questionnaire that you as a supplier need to answer before we will engage with you. Robbie, I said, 27,001 certification, it's not free, is it? There are some real costs, a real investment that's required into that. Huge amount of investment. The biggest one, which is free, is management and leadership mindset. I mean, once you get that, the rest actually falls in place. As we were talking there, like if you were to ask me the question, you know, how much revenue do we get as a result of ha having ISO 27001, I wouldn't be able to answer it, but I probably would be able to answer the fact that a vast majority of the revenue we get, we wouldn't have got if we didn't have the certification. Mm, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Given our, our, our so uh, it's like we've we've come to the point where it's yeah, as I said before, it's table stakes. You don't get in, you don't get to play if you don't have it. Interestingly, uh, we got the qualification back or the the certification back in January of 2014 having spent the previous two years trying to to get it. Year one was there's so much um, resources on the web. Surely we can do this ourselves. So we messed around for a year and uh, got nowhere because the mindset, you know, it, it was always, here's a project. Can you take this? And the person will be going, I've been given a wooden spoon here, you know. <laughs> and then what happened is it was a, a large petrochem company who basically said, we will give you this contract if you get 27,001 within eight months. And so at that stage, we brought in a company like Brian's and uh, it really focused our minds. So we went through that phase because there's nothing like a deadline. There was a set deadline and we got it. And uh, there was a big sigh of relief only to be followed by the fact that we were going to have to uh, do it the next year again because someone was coming in to mark our homework. And so that was like, right. we have to keep doing this. And so there's a, a <laughs> you go through those stages of, you know, denial, rejection, anger, you, you know, and, uh, and then you end up with acceptance. But the business benefits and the competitive advantages and the revenue increase as a result significantly far outweigh any of the costs, in my opinion. When you first put it in place, you had this fantastic academic ISMS yes. in place. I think that's where many organizations become fearful of an ISMS. They go, oh, my God, if we're going to use 27,001. We're going to have to change our business. We're going to have to have all these new mm -hmm. processes in place. We're going to have to change how we do things. That's not the way it is. 27,001, you don't change your business to fit 27,001. You should adopt 27,001 to fit your business. 
And I think that's the key thing to get across to anybody listening to this. Getting certified at 27,001, it is a journey. You do need investment because a lot of that investment, as Robbie said, though, is internal. It's it's resources. It's it's getting your process and procedures right. You will have to pay for a certification body to come in and correct your homework and make sure you're, you're meeting the requirements of the standard. But apart from that, you can adjust 27,001 to fit your business without you having to do a complete overhaul of your own business. And, and if people are worried about certification to 27,001 for, from that aspect, I just want to reassure them, said, no, that's not the case. You should be able to adopt 27,001 to fit your business. I think that the first thing that changes in your mind when you go on, on the journey is that you stop saying 27,001 mm-hmm. and you start saying information security management system or ISMS. Yeah, because that's that's you know the standard is a regulation. You know, it's all these controls. Uh, you quickly move away from that, and you quickly go into your own business. You identify your own assets, your your, your uh, the areas where you're processing data. So, gentlemen, a couple of quick fire rounds because all, all this ISMS chat is is meaning that we are running short on time. I want to just flip the coin again and just look at the other side of this. In the interests of balance, perhaps these frameworks and certifications maybe shouldn't be seen as a as a silver bullet. So what are the things to look out for, to, to be wary of whether you're looking at employing one of these frameworks within your organisation or considering doing business with a partner who claims to have one of these frameworks in place? Brian, what, what are some watch outs for us? Well, for me, the biggest watch out is, uh, if you're engaging a, a supplier or a partner, is make sure the scope of their certification or of their ISMS extends to the service they're providing you. I've seen situations where people have engaged with a supplier because the supplier says, yes, we're certified to 27,001, mm. only to discover later on that, well, the part of the business that are providing us with the service is outside the scope of the certification. So right. be, be wary of that one, I would say. I would totally concur with what Brian is saying, if it's if it's ISO twenty seven thousand one or Cyber Essentials Plus or whatever, get a copy of the of the cert which has the scope, and the scope will typically show you what they are protecting. And and one of the things to be careful of is where you have say a multinational company. One of the the subsidiaries, let's say the subsidiary in 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 London is is certified, but the subsidiary in in Ireland isn't certified, and and everybody tries to, you know, hunker down under the same certification <laughs> because it 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 is a cost to get all your international offices uh, certified as well. For large large companies, the cost of implementing twenty seven thousand one more in terms of internal resources is quite considerable. And so they don't, and, and they'll say, well, we adhere to ISO 27,001. <laughs> yeah, we're compliant with it. No, you're yeah. not. Show me your cert. And that's it. Show me your cert. Yeah. It is the the acid test. I think that you have organizations that you, you know from the risk assessments that you send to them, it's in the evidencing that you actually get your comfort and you have to be very vigilant for cut and paste mentality where mm-hmm. you know they're going on and cutting stuff from from other people's websites and, and it, it actually doesn't join up so answering the risk assessment like filling it with with verbiage it, it isn't actually the solution to your problem and and I, I also feel that it resonates from the sales guys even if if they recognize that it is a an important asset that their company has you, you'll feel it you'll get that sense just to add to what Robbie said there about the certificate, that is the asset test. 
but make sure the certificate has been issued by an authorized certification. Yes. <laughs> we've had situations where we've been working with clients and they've been going, no, don't worry about it, Brian. Look, we have this uh, supplier and they've been certified at 27,001. And then we go and look and it's, uh, you know, it's uh, it's Brian Hone and Certification Body Inc. Uh, certified. Yes. This, and you go, well, that's not a proper certification body. Okay, so benefits. I think we've understood that there is a cost to it, but boy, does yep. that open some doors for you? I prefer investment. Investment. <laughs> An investment. We've got some practicalities, understanding the practicalities, looking out for some of those watchouts, make sure it's genuine certification body, make sure that the bit of that organisation that you're looking to engage with is the bit that is indeed certified and so on. So just turning that glass around one more time, if David McClelland Inc. is looking to become ISO 27001 certified, what is my best starter on that journey? What are the things I need to think about and what would my good first sort of steps be? Brian, I guess this is one that I'm going to throw to you first of all, because this is a lot of what you do. It is what I do and my clear bands will be phone me. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> To be sincere and honest about it, I think the first thing you need to do, and, and Robbie has talked about it consistently throughout this, this webinar, is the look and see where your assets are. You know, where are your information assets? Because that is a major eye opener for many organizations when they start this journey. Because sometimes you sort of say, yeah, our customer database, that's in the cloud in this system or it's on that server. And then when you suddenly ask more questions, well, who else has a copy? Who's downloaded the customer database into Excel onto the laptop or onto their phones? And, and then you suddenly realize, oh, okay, this is what I need to do. So, I would start there is identifying where your information assets are. And sorry, also to back up what Robbie said is, is making sure you've got management commitment. If, if you don't have management buy into this process, you're going to be, I can't remember that, that Greek God who is constantly pushing the big rock up the mountain and ne never getting to the top. That's what your journey is going to be like is that you're never going to get there because you don't have the support. They're the two areas I would, I would focus on straight away. Robbie. So I think getting that management buy in is specifically about banging a drum of competitive edge of we will sell more it's table stakes to the industry now i mean with COVID, we've moved 30 years ahead in terms of digital transformation it is the reality now and this is the corollary in terms of the cost of it the cost of people working from home and all those things then once you couch it in terms of risk and, and in terms of investment or business gain, then I think the next thing is that as a as a management leadership team, you agree with a partner like Brian on a deadline, because if you don't, <laughs> it will forever move ahead of you. Yeah. It just is. That's one of those things. As you go through the ISMS discovery process, just as Brian was saying, you actually do find out what is really important to you. You have a couple of very emotional moments where you find out that there are things <laughs> that you thought were secure that have multiple access. And I think that's the journey with security. It's you're only, a, it depends on the week when someone comes along and says, did you know this happened? You're like, no, mm -hmm. please. And if something was to go wrong, we, we have the basis of a plan. We have processes that we can follow. It means that there's less people running around with their hair on fire. So loads of benefits, focus on the benefits and take the other departments with you. 
That is us out of time. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Brian, where can people find out a little bit more about the work that you get up to? Uh, you can visit our website, www.bhconsulting.ie, or you can follow me on Twitter. Brian Honan is my Twitter handle. Or if anybody wants to email me, brian.honan at bhconsulting.ie. Fantastic. And Robbie, your book, Cybersecurity Awareness for Dummies, yes. what does that have to say about yes. frameworks like those? have been? You, you've got a copy of it there. Fantastic. <laughs> it really is a book. It really is a book. <laughs> I, interestingly, I, I, at the very beginning of the book, I deal with frameworks and because I... I I am a big fan. I actually see that e even if you're moving in that general direction, it, it changes the personality of your organization and how seriously you take it. My book is a playbook for bringing culture change and trying to make your organization fit for purpose in a world where cybersecurity and data protection is becoming more of a important thing. Good stuff. Well, listen, thank you very much indeed for joining us today, Brian. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Cheers, folks. And Robbie, thanks for joining us as well. Talk to you soon, guys. We look forward to seeing you all next time. But for now, bye-bye.